0: Alex Shaw here with your Scott Risk Performance Podcast, uh, sitting down with Andy Moore from Moore's Electric, uh, uh, president and CEO, and the world-renowned Jimbo Redman of the Scott Risk Performance Group. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Jimbo, you said you had something to uh, start us off. Yeah, so
1: uh, we were talking before we got started a little bit about cultures and taking care of people and some of the things that we want to get into today, but did y'all watch that game on Monday night?
0: Clemson and uh, Alabama. Clemson,
1: Alabama. Yeah. I know we got a lot of Clemson fans out there. Maybe we got some Alabama fans, but uh, that was a big win for the Tigers. And um, I was watching a couple weeks ago when they they, uh, beat Ohio State. And, you know, that was a bit of a shock to a lot of people just because they beat them down so much. And... And so they ask, uh, they were talking about the Ohio state football culture and how basically that culture was that they make it so difficult that only the strong can, can survive it. And, uh, and Dabo said, man, that, that's, that's so far from our culture. You man, we're just all about love and taking care (laughs) of each other and, you know, we're just a big family. And, uh. And, and you could see the contrast between you know Clemson and, and Ohio State, and you know you got uh, what's the coach of Ohio State's? Uh, it's not Harbaugh. No, no, he's bad too. It's uh, <laughs> Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer yeah. You could see the veins popping out of Urban Meyer's neck, and you know his head's about to explode. And you can just you know sort of see the faces of the franchise. So I, I was thinking, man, that that's so true. Just two totally different approaches, both both successful, but. Anyway, yeah, that, we that were, was my intro.
0: We were talking before we uh, recorded, uh, Andy, Jimbo, and I about an article I just read on Costco. And part of the article it mentions how they they pay roughly ten dollars more per hour than um, than you know standard industry hourly wage, and um, they've got you know two percent profit margins, which is is whisper you know thin, um, and yet. After a year of employment, 94% of their employees um, stay on board, and I guess not um, and yet regarding the hourly income. But the, the executive team said, you know, um, our approach to making sure that we're financially in healthy is a little counterintuitive, and that is we spend a lot of money taking care of our employees. Um, our, our mantra is, is kind of do the right thing, and, um, and we trust that if we take care of employees and customers that the shareholders will be happy, even if that means investing a tremendous amount of money on the front end in areas where traditionally folks who are, are um, you know, watching the dollar signs, which is very important, maybe would shy away from, from, uh, from
2: spending those, those dollars. Yeah, so when I hear you talk about Costco and, and that business model, You know, for myself personally, and I think for our culture here at Moore's over the years, that is something that we definitely uh, would admire uh, in an organization like Costco. You know, you can run a business multiple ways, just like Ohio State or Clemson uh, run their football programs. But we choose here, you know, I'm not saying we have it all figured out by any means. Um, Our employees probably say we could spend more money on them at times. But we try to, you know, look at the best in people and value our people. And so you can either decide that you want to try to have a bigger bottom line, or you can have a respectable bottom line and give back to your people. You know, a profitable business is a good business. So you have to make money. There is, you know, a a definite focus on being profitable. But you know, for Costco and what they're doing there, you know, they're valuing their people. They're paying a higher wage. They're trying to give money back. So the executive team realizes that it's not about them. If you don't have a team around you, a good team, then you're not going to be successful in any business. So it's just a different business model, you know, and, and that's one that, that we try to subscribe to here. Yeah. Do you think that's... Um
1: Sort of unique um, to the construction industry.
2: Yes, I, I, I certainly think it's unique to the construction industry. We're we're not the only one. You know, we have uh, other companies, mentor companies that we we look at. But I'd say uh, you you see it less often. You know, a lot of people that have come here over the years have come here and said that. You know, they've worked at companies where, you know, appreciation was not shown to the people, that trying to focus on being a great place to work was not a focus, that profitability was was you know the focus over more than anything else in that organization. And so, you know, we take the stance that finances and profitability is a is number four or it's a byproduct of doing the right thing with our people and our customers over and over again, and then the rest of it will take care of themselves.
0: And I think it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult in the construction environment than it is uh, with a lot of the books I'll read. It's often about more of your white-collar organizations and how they, how they really uh, facilitate a healthy culture. But it's easier because there's far less overhead. So they typi- typically have some really, really good profit margins, and so saying, hey, guys, lounge on the couch, come in when you want, you know, just be creative and, and figure out ways to bring value to clients is a heck of a lot easier um, than when you've got as much equipment as you guys do, as many vehicles as you guys do, and as many considerations out on the road as you guys do. Um, so it, it it really, I think, is, is Im- impressive that it, it becomes a priority for you guys um, in a way that Uh, largely is is a little bit contrary to what the industry standard is.
2: Yeah, it is unique, and and it's not a one-size-fits-all. And you have to figure out what types of things that you can do and can implement um, inside of your culture and your organization. With our demographic, with us being spread out, doing the construction business, some of those things you mentioned do not fit our culture. We've talked about them. They sound great and sound fun, but they would be things that all the people in the office could enjoy, but the 420 guys in the field that are not here would not be able to take advantage of that. So you have to think about how do you involve everybody in those types of things. And so at the end of the day, everybody is a human being. Everybody has emotions. And so trying to go further and and spend time with foremans, mechanics, helpers, uh, you know, our office staff, our administrative, trying to continue to coach and build leaders at every level uh, helps you start to build that culture and then incorporating some of those fun things along the way is, is something that you can do.
0: Yeah, why? So I think the the Urban Meyer comparison is really something important to note because the talk track we like black and and white. You know, we like things that work or they don't work. And from what I'm hearing, you can actually run a very successful company not having that you know human uh, considering that human equation to the degree that you guys do. So why is it important to you guys to really take the route? and the road less traveled, if you will, and and being mindful of the perceptions of employees in the field of their quality of life, the perceptions of the leadership team um, from the employees in the field, their quality of life, um, and how that impacts their work and their performance. Why focus on that as much as you guys do when you could
2: be successful not doing that? Right. So I guess you would have to go back to the very beginning days of of this organization uh, where – you know, we're really a faith-based or uh, faith-value, family-value culture. And that was kind of, you know, when we were one person, my dad by himself starting to grow this business and hire the first partner and the second partner, and now we're at 550. But we've stayed the same to that degree since the beginning of time. And so when you incorporate you know, Christian values, for example. You know, and we talk about, you know, agape love, which is unconditional love. So you love people no matter what. And so when you get into an organization it's really not much different than your family. It can become dysfunctional at times. You got 550 brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, and everybody's got some (laughs) kind (laughs) of junk in life. We all do. You know, we're either dealing with something, we're going through something, or we're coming out of something. And so you have to realize that that's just part of life. Life is not always easy. But if you truly love people, as the Bible says, hey, love others, uh, that's... I guess as leaders in a company, you kind of sign up, at least in our opinion, to, to walk alongside people in those times of their life to help them. And so whether it's just in the safety program, on the job, to us, it all translates. So to, to, I guess to answer your question, it's from the beginning. It's a, it's a faith-based, it's a family-based culture uh, and we just feel like that, that that's kind of our responsibility. If we're going to be leaders in this business, we have a responsibility and a tremendous opportunity to try to make a positive impact on people. I, l- I love that. I love that response, and, and
0: I think you guys do things to support I- everything you just said. And one thing that, um, that I- is big, I think, in anyone's life is the need to find purpose and progress and feel growth, or at least the opportunity for growth. And so, f- a facet of what you guys provide to employees, or at least put some employees through, is the, the servant leadership um, process. So, can you talk a little bit about what that is and what that looks like, and why you guys started I- engaging on that level?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, if you could could listen to some of the stories from the early days before servant leadership, um, it was very much a a top down kind of org chart where, you know, the bosses and the leaders just dictated orders and told people what they were going to do. Um, but we, we soon started to learn and realize that that was the wrong leadership. That was just bad habits of leadership. So in 2002, after some studies and research, we decided to adopt what we call our servant leadership culture. We're definitely not the pioneers. There's some unbelievable companies out there, Chick-fil-A, Southwest Airlines, uh, another large business that's in our industry in Texas, TD Industries, big servant leadership companies. But, you know, servant leadership in its essence is you treat people like you want to be treated. And, you know, when we talk about training servant leaders, a servant leader is an egoless leader That supports their team so it's not about them they got to realize that their success stems from the people that report to them and so at the end of the day that's their job you know and so we joke around with that all the time about you know what is your job description you're the you're the chief support officer you know your job is to support your people and help them be successful lead by example lead from the front and not everybody does it right you know I mean that's just the honest thing you know for if we're, if we're being transparent here but we spend tireless hours daily trying to coach our people to be good servant leaders it seemed to me that that
1: um, obviously you've honed this over a number of years and gotten a lot better and how you onboard people into your organization but it it would still seem that that there would be cases of of people out there who give you funny looks um,
2: relative to what you're asking of them. Is that? Yeah, that's a good way to describe (laughs) it. Um, You know, again, this culture, construction industry, I mean, you bring in a lot of people that are what they call, uh, quote, old school. And so their leadership still is the top-down leadership. And so when we bring them in and we start talking to them about Moore's is a servant leadership culture, we treat people like we want to be treated. We, you know, if we have to admonish people, people kind of get crossed up sometimes when they hear servant leadership, they think, oh, I go from being really hard on everybody to being really soft on everybody and being a pushover. And that's not what it's about. Servant leadership is as much about accountability as it is about love but it's how you do it with respect and dignity. So, yeah, we get some funny looks, but when we put them through Servant Leadership Program, when we put them through doing some 360 feedback, when we give them some coaching, you know, you'd be surprised. Again, everybody is human. So they actually, in the long run, they start to really embrace it and understand it, and it makes them more successful at their job. Because, you know, my dad, you know, he says all the time, the best part about our, or the worst part about our business is the people. The best part about our business is the people. So, you know, I mean, it can't be, I mean, that's just the truth. You know, I mean, it can be very frustrating or it can be, you know, something that you really embrace and enjoy. And when I drive home a lot of days, I was talking to somebody this morning about a book that we're reading in a leadership group called Love Works. But you go home some days and you think about, man, was it a good day today? Did I make an impact today? and you can get to thinking about the numbers and, and the buildings and the construction and different things, but then you start to think about, you know, who did I impact in a positive way with a conversation? Did I check on their family? Did I check on them? Did I have a good conversation? And those are the days your eyes light up when you pull out of the parking lot and say, today was a good day today. Yeah, that comment
0: spurs a thought, um, something that I know Jimbo had, had mentioned to me, and you know, I think servant leadership requires that you have competency of the people you're attempting to serve, and I think you guys have done that brilliantly in, in many regards, um, but one more recently was a survey that you guys rolled out, and then you got results back. Maybe talk a little bit about um, what you took under your wing after the survey results came back, mm-hmm. uh, the initiative you
2: started personally. Okay, so... Um, the survey uh, was our uh, safety perception survey that um, Scott Insurance uh, partnered and helped you know administrate for us to get us some results and, and some feedback on on our safety program. And uh, of course, we're appreciative of that. You know, the survey came back, and I think by most standards, it was pretty positive. Uh, was it pretty? It was pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um I think you know the the results were positive. The participation
1: was positive. Um, I mean, you know, if we were to benchmark it against others, then I think you know it was it was relatively glowing. Um, I think y'all's perception, um, maybe rightfully so, based on all the discussions that you've just had on the servant leadership and being about the people and
2: family. Um, maybe it didn't meet your expectations, right and and so I think that's an accurate statement you know um listening to to Frank uh Gonzalez and Jimbo and and Jimmy you know a lot of times they're quick to say man you guys are doing well you guys are performing good you're doing good things but we have high expectations especially in our safety program because the safety for us is an extension of Loving your people, caring for your people, you have a responsibility as a business owner to value people and keep them safe, get them back home to their families. So moving forward, we got the results back, a couple things in there that kind of nicked us a little bit, our people said, man, you know, you're you're quick to come out there and tell us when we're not doing things well, you're not doing this well, you're not wearing your PPE, you're not putting yourself, but you never praise us, you know, Mm -hmm. you're not praising us for when we are doing things right, and so... You know, again, referencing that book that that we were reading in our leadership group right now, Love Works, it says you should be building up those positive bank accounts, three to one ratio of praise versus admonishment. So that really hit home with us that on the safety side of our business, everything else we're trying to do the servant leadership, but on safety, we're not doing that effectively and doing a good job. So that really hit home with us. The other thing is the safety survey results, I guess, again, by a lot of standards were positive. But our safety performance was not reflective of that. So at some point, our culture uh, of the business was not translating to our safety program. And, and as leaders, one thing I realized, we like to sit around in these meetings and try to figure out all the solutions and problems and fix them. And honestly, we really have no idea. I mean, we're disconnected from what the guys are doing out there each day. So one thing that I decided to do one day, I was just sitting there and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start calling our partners. We've got a cell phone list. We've got 200 and some company cell phones that are in the hands of our supervisors, foremen, service techs, lead guys. Well, I'm just going to start at A, working my way through Z, and calling these guys and say, tell me what's going on out in the field in the safety program today. And that Really opened up some interesting conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what a what was the what
0: what was the response that you what have the responses been like when you call and you say hey,
1: this what, is what Andy did Joe Ardbark say? He was the first one on the list, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. So you know, it, it was really good. I mean, I've been here at Moore's. November was my nineteenth year, so. You know, I've developed a pretty good relationship with our people. They know that I have an open-door policy. They know that they can be transparent with me. Um, You know, is it like that for everybody? Probably not. But there's a good number of them out there that trust me and know me very well. So, you know, I I got some really interesting feedback. And so you look down through the list, and the guys are just starting to be open and transparent and say, You know, these JSAs that we're doing are really getting stale. You know, these things are becoming generic. Yep, we're pencil whipping them. We're like sign in and sign out. So when somebody shows up out here, it's good. Somebody's like, every time we have an accident, we got to have a meeting of Congress, excuse me, a meeting to, to develop a new safety rule. And it just, you know, some of them said, hey, your managers are not living safety. They're putting us in environments that are not safe out here. And so... I mean it was just eye opening to listen to what you know some of these guys were able to communicate when it come to the safety program in the meanwhile we're getting positive safety results we hit our safety goals for 18 months in a row um, but you could tell that there was a decline in the culture starting to happen and that was starting to reflect itself in our current in our safety performance in the, in the current state so one one, uh, one of the books I'm reading right now is called extreme ownership
0: by a guy named Jocko Willink who headed up a, a, several platoons of, of SEAL teams in Iraq, and Ramadi specifically. And his book, the whole, the whole premise is that if you're the leader of a group of people, um, then the success and failures ride uh, solely on your back, even if that's not necessarily true. Is the leader, they, they, they ride on your back, and so when there's a failure... He said it is. he goes in and works with organizations now, and he gave an example of a manufacturing plant where the VP was responsible for uh, driving business forward in, in this game plan he'd come up with, and it wasn't successful. And the guy had a lot of excuses, all valid. And he said, look, you've got to humble yourself, and you've got to make yourself vulnerable in front of the board and step in there and say, we've been trying this for six months, and it's all my fault that it hasn't been successful and what came from that was tremendous growth within his group of managers and they ended up running that thing through to the finish line and it just makes me think when when you say you know it, you know we're not exactly sure what's going on in the field sometimes that's a pretty vulnerable place to put yourself in and to have the the leadership acumen to call to reach out and call those guys i think that is just a message that I think there are so many people can benefit from from hearing so many leaders within organizations. So I appreciate. So, so I appreciate I, that. I, this
1: is I th- I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, as you, how far are you down that list now? Uh,
2: considerable way, yeah, moving down. So of of
1: the, I'll just say you're halfway of the yeah. 115 people that you've uh, called. How many of them? Um, had you not been
2: face-to-face with prior to calling them? Yeah, so that's a good question. I mean, there most of the people on the list are people that I've had some type of interaction with to some degree, but there was a few names on there that I may have not met yet or just briefly in like a new hire orientation. So there was definitely some of those that were a little more difficult but, but
1: those were the exceptions rather than the rules
2: yes that's for sure yeah
1: and uh then so that's that's one and then two um obviously people have been generally open and and candid um did did you get any complete curveballs like where you were like man I'm not sure that guy is into this servant leadership
2: um yeah, I mean, there, there's people of, different. Uh, I guess everybody's person, we know everybody's personality is different. So, yeah, I mean, there was a handful of conversations that were probably not as transparent, you know, whether they maybe didn't have that trust with me, didn't know if it was going to get back to their supervisor. Um, you know, honestly, you start to realize there's some people on the list that don't value safety just by listening to, their words and stuff back to you, and maybe they don't right. realize anything wrong with what they're telling you, and I wasn't judging them, but I could c- clearly tell that, that yeah. sa- safety was not of high value. See, I, I love that because um, that's just
1: real. I mean, it, I know that in every organization that I work with, but yet getting the owner and CEO of the company to to go, man, I get it you know, I I don't want to hear it. It's not information I want to hear, but it's a reality that we have to deal with. So man, I appreciate that. And then the third thing I'll ask you is, man, you're a busy guy. (laughs) This is a big operation. Y'all got 500 plus employees. How many job sites y'all have out there? They're all over the place. (laughs) And, uh, And you got service techs running all over and how many people in the corporate office here?
2: Yeah, the main office here probably got uh, north of a hundred or so, and then six or seven other offices across the state and Texas in two states. And so yeah, there's. Where, a lot where does
1: on. Where does Andy Moore get um, the time to call two hundred and fifty employees? And I don't know how long do those conversations go. Yeah,
2: so they're all different. Um, You know, one, you just got to block out time. If it's important to you, you're going to figure it out. I mean, there's plenty of time in the day. It's all about where you're going to prioritize it to spend it. So, you know, everybody knows starting with new hire orientation and people that report to me and people that just know me, I tell them all the time, my number one job in this company company is to support our people. Um, And so that's where... I choose to prioritize our time. I have an open-door policy. I tell people all the time, if somebody else is not sitting in here talking to me, you can just push that door open and come on in and have a seat in my chair, and we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. So that's my number one job, is to make sure that the morale and our people are being taken care of and supported at every level in every department by every supervisor in the company. And there's other things I have to do, sure, but... I'll figure out time to get those done. And so it always seems to work. Priority number one is to take care of our people and calling them and trying to figure out what's going on in our safety culture really couldn't be much more important than that. So, again, you can you can prioritize your time. If you want to be studying financials and strategy and planning and retreats and board meetings, and I do all those things, but the number one thing is to make sure that the people get the, the first pri- priority. So – um, it's it, it's just work. It doesn't feel like more work to you. Those than... are the, those are the best days. I mean, that's when you drive home thinking, "Man, I talked to ten guys today on the phone, or I got out to a job, or and talked to them on the job, or whatever it is." But it's definitely not more work. That's that's great.
1: Um, yeah, I told Alex before, and maybe maybe this is getting us off subject, but I, I said before we go today, we got to go into y'all's meeting room or the events room. Uh-huh.
2: Or, and
1: because uh, you got a picture of, I think all your all your partners.
2: It's a it's a years of service wall, and so you get your picture up here at five years, ten years, fifteen, twenty, and then we just added our twentieth retiree, uh, our nineteenth and twentieth retiree, December thirty first. There's a lot. Of, how many photos are on that wall? Uh, several hundred.
0: Wow. Wow. I just, I love this conversation and just so appreciate you fitting us into your schedule. And it's just a, a testament. You know, my, my, my pop-up used to say, and it stuck with me, you, know, you got to take care of the people and the, div- the rest will take care of itself. And before we started recording, you pretty much said the exact same thing. You, you said, you know, you focus on your people and and the dividends, the finances, your culture, that all propagate from that that core intent and care of your employees or partners. So, Jimbo, anything uh, anything else to add? Or well, I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna ask Andy if this is true because Frankie White Pants, um, <laughs> Frank Gonzalez, to mm-hmm. those of you out there, Frank Frank loves to tell the story about working at Moore's and and how I think your father said maybe you said, but your father said he wanted to be the Google of construction. Oh, that's right. Firms.
2: Is that is that true? Um, well, it's something that we've definitely talked about, but when we talk about the Google of construction firms, we don't really talk about some of the crazy things that you talk that you hear and read about Google, but what we do think about when we compare ourselves or make that analogy is that we always want to be thinking about a way to do something better. You know, and so that's really our mantra around here is how do we get better? And it's not about Better is fixing something that's broke, but better is making something good even better. And so we're pushing the envelope. People will say, "Hey, man, y'all, you know, y'all do such and such," and we're like, "Yeah, we did that two years ago. We're we're doing something different now." So yeah, we always want to be thinking about how do we innovate and be different and be better, and and then doing that in construction is just that much more fun. Well, I I, I predict that uh, in the next
1: twenty years. Uh, one of my associates will be sitting in a meeting somewhere with a construction company, and they'll say, "We we want to be the Moors
2: <laughs> of this business." So, uh, good stuff. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. We we'll see about that. We've been blessed. God has been very good. We, you know, we tell everybody all the time. We feel like this is His business. We're just stewards of this business, and so whether that's financially whether that's with our people, customers, that's kind of the uh, the approach we take. One thing I will say about Frank, and I got to give Frank credit on this because it kind of goes back to something that Alex touched on a little bit earlier in the middle of the conversation was, you know, safety a lot of times can become a negative term. People hear the word safety, they think about compliance, they think about I have to, I can't do, I need to. And, and, and Frank kind of brought you know, to a meeting we had yesterday, thinking about how we get back on track to where safety matches the rest of our culture. And he said, You know, we need to think about safety from the perspective of purpose and how do we be present, available, and vulnerable? How do we enjoy the connection and value ourselves and others? If we do that every day in the safety realm, out there in the field with our guys, Then we can really get the safety culture back aligned with the rest of this Moore's culture. And so, kind of felt like there was almost a separation. Like, yes, we loved each other and we worked hard at that. But then, when all of a sudden you talked about safety, it went to the top down compliance. And so, that's where in 2017, we're trying to just change the complete mold of safety to say it's about. You know the vulnerability, availability, being present, and, and and valuing people to get them back home at night. Family values. You know it's uh,
1: like driving down the road with my son, trying to explain to him why the you know, the shoulder harness part of the seat belt is pretty important to go across your shoulder, and uh, and and so I you know, you started Dissolve talking about, you know, we're a family here, and I think that's just a beautiful way to wrap it into a bow of, you know, that being the platform of why, why
0: safety um, matters. Well, thank you, uh, Andy, so much for the time today. Jimbo, good talking to you guys, and um, hope everybody out there has an awesome, awesome week. Looking forward to a Really positive 2017. So we will catch everybody later. Andy, thanks so much. Thanks, Andy.